He goes, I can tell what kind of client you're talking to based on the words you're using and the dialogue and how you're framing your conversation. And I thought, you know what, that's really interesting because sometimes you have to talk to the client's level. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Today on the show, I have Susanna Penning. Susanna is a mortgage broker based out of Ottawa and one of the top producers in that region. And in this episode, we really talk about her journey coming into the mortgage business, some tragedies that she had to overcome, and how she's transitioned and built a really small team that does a huge volume. Um, Very inspiring story. So check this out. You're going to love it. Also, this episode is sponsored by Pioneer West Acceptance Corp. So if you're looking to do a private loan in BC or Alberta, reach out to Style Stewart and the gang. Those guys are awesome. They've been huge supporters of our community for a long time. And the feedback from mortgage brokers that have worked with them has been awesome. So check out PioneerWest.com and ask for Styles and tell them that you heard about them from us. And check out this episode with Susanna. Hey, Susanna. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Scott. So tell me a little bit about uh, how you got into the mortgage business. Uh, well, it's a little bit of a long story, but I started uh, working with Scotiabank when I was 16. And by the time I was uh, in my mid-30s, I finally figured out that it was actually sucking the life out of me. So what was I going to do as a single mom to kind of add to my quality of life? And I was really kind of primarily focused on working from home, right? Trying to to balance everything. And I had two young children, two young daughters at the time. So My goal was to join a brokerage uh, that a friend of mine had opened and started, and my plan was to go into the bank on Friday to quit. And unfortunately, Thursday, um, I came home, and my daughter was very ill, and she passed away later that day. So it came as a a huge shock, and essentially what transpired from there was I went on three months of leave from the bank. Yeah, of course, paid, And I didn't didn't quit the bank, but... During those three months, took a lot of time to uh, grieve and heal, um, but being a little bit type A, I read all, everything I needed to read about it, and mm-hmm. I made myself a plan that at the end of three months, it would be time to move on, and I would start mortgage brokering. So I went back into the bank on the 91st day, and I quit. And I must say, at this point, I had absolutely no support from anybody, from family, friends, not as right. so encouraged me. <laughs> right, I bet, because you basically, you are a single parent. You've just gone through the death of a child, which I can't even imagine has happened to a friend of mine. And I'm just still like, you know, actually two friends have it's happened to. And then now you're going to leave the safety of a salaried position and go into like our career, which is there's no guarantees. So what was it like? Like it must have been a, you know, you're doing some soul searching, but there must have been some fear. Like, honestly, you had to have been like, oh, my gosh, am I is this the right thing that I'm doing? There was a lot of fear and I, I wanted to stop, you know, I always criticize people. If you're going to complain about something, then do about it. If you, if you, if you don't do anything about it, then you reserve the right to stop complaining about it. Right. right. So I decided that I was going to make this move and um, you know, I had, I still had a young daughter and she was four at the time and I needed now more than ever to be home. So this was you know, still going to be a positive move for me. So I did what every good person uh, does. I put a huge line of credit on my house. <laughs> I decided I was going to live off my line of credit, uh, try yeah. this mortgage brokering thing. Build a um, runway, essentially, so that you can get, get the plane off the, off the ground. 
Yeah. And I was in management at Scotia. So I know, and I set myself a goal for the first year. I didn't want to lose any income. So I reverse engineered based on my salary at the bank, what I needed to do in the first year to make what I was making at the bank. So I drilled it down commission per deal, how many deals per year, how many deals per month, how many deals per week, how many calls I would have to make to book that many deals. Yeah. Uh, and I was pretty, pretty happy uh, with the results. In the first year, I tripled my bank salary. Really? Um, yeah. Well, but this was in 2006, right? It was yeah. the Wild West and 100, you know, 100% financing, 95% refund. Flex down. You know, flex, you know, it was easier than it is today, but yeah. um, was certainly good progress. Now, I kind of credit becoming a mortgage broker with actually getting me up through the whole process. It was really mm-hmm. something that gave me, you know, a singular focus at the time. Again, being newly traumatized by that situation, I, I was able to redirect that energy, and, mm-hmm. and it was survival at that point. I can honestly say, like it was option, no option to fail, right? And did so, you work from home that like this whole time? Exclusively from, yep. Right, so that also gives you a chance to be with your other daughter, right? You're right. like, oh my gosh, yep. I lost uh, my child, and now I'm like, I, I can see why there's an appeal to that. How did you manage like your time and? Because in order to build your business, you can't build it usually from just being in your office. You're still going to go meet some people and like, you know, build some relationships. So how did you do that? You know, and the old fashioned way, I just talked to everybody. So um, I was very involved in the school community. So I PTA, you know, going to volunteer at the the barbecue at school during lunch hour, but also just reaching out to everybody I knew, family, friends. I managed to get a deal from a friend. And this is a, a cool story because not a lot of people do this, but I got a deal from a friend and I, it was a referral of a client of hers. I owned a hair salon and I called him and he's like, yeah, you know, I needed a mortgage broker. I looked at his purchase agreement and I said, okay, I'll take care of everything. I actually called his buyer agent on the purchase agreement once the deal was approved. And I said, yeah. I want to introduce myself. I'm, you know, Mike's mortgage broker. Just want to let you know everything is fine. No appraisal required. Just want to touch base, but your mind at ease. And she goes, no one has ever done that. And she said, that is wonderful. Right. And I said, well, you're welcome. So ironically enough, she called me back two days later and said, you know what? I really hate my mortgage broker. Would you be willing to meet me for breakfast? And yeah. by the way, can I bring the other two buyer agents in my office? Right. So not really realizing kind of what I'd landed there. You know, I met them both for breakfast. And then Ottawa being a very small town, Mm -hmm. uh, I always say there's one degree of separation. So the girl I actually ended up meeting with, we went to high school together. The other buyer agent, her son was friends with my nephew. So right away, there's connection, connection. And I must say, it just took off from there. So she was really my first big referral source. And she started plowing business in and it just took off from there. So it, again, made it easier to make those realtor connections in the beginning, which are really important in the beginning, right? Yes. You know, it's it's a good source in the beginning if you can get a new realtor. Again, a little bit of a different environment back then, you know, realtors were easier to grab them, right? Now there's a lot more, you know, brokerages in realtor offices and there's more established connections. Right. Uh, I'd say yes and no. I think you're right. But there's also more opportunity because if you really focus on, you know, communication and customer experience, customer service, there's still opportunity to, to grow your business. It's just, it's just like you were doing when, when you started not to see your work, you were just doing the work. You're picking up the phone. You were doing the stuff that no one else was doing. Yeah. And so, um, and I really, tell people all the time, it's not rocket science, just be good at what you do. And over the, you know, hard work will pay off. And over the years I've received calls from realtors saying, 
you know, I was a selling agent, but the buyer agent was raving about how good of a broker you were. And, you know, do you mind working with me? And I'll, you know, I'm like, course. sure. Of course <laughs> so. What, yeah. what, how many, when, so when you first started out and you had this, this goal in mind to replace your income, what were the activities that you had committed to? So were you doing a certain number of calls a day, certain number of meetings? Cause I have found that if you don't have a pattern, you don't have a plan, these things become like just, they, they don't happen. So what were you doing? Yeah, a certain amount of calls. Um, again, cold calling is never fun, but a certain amount of cold calls. Ask realtors if they knew anybody else in their office who needed to establish a relationship with a mortgage broker. Just making the ask, right? You, you just can't sit in your chair and expect business to come to you, right? You do have to ask people for business. So, you know, and again, asking for referrals and it's pretty straightforward. It's not, again, not rocket science. It's not science. rocket science. Okay. So fast forward now, you've been in the business. How many years have you been active as a mortgage broker? So I started brokering in 2006. So 12 this years. Is, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So 12 years. And um, you'd said to me when we were chatting sort of briefly before we got on here that you had gone through a phase where you sort of hit a plateau and you were like, well, tell me about that when you hit the plateau and then tell me about what you did in order to be able to go through it. You know, my big motto is if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you're a victim of your own success. Your business is building, 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 growing, growing, growing. And then all of a sudden, you're trapped in doing all the stuff that you don't love to do. You're doing paperwork. You're pushing files. You're, you're not out there. You're not marketing or farming or hunting or whatever you're supposed to be doing at that time. You're chained to paperwork. You're ordering appraisals. You're like looking at pay stubs. So mm -hmm. it was really taking its toll. And I worked at another broker's at the time, but my broker owner came to me and he saw kind of how burnt out I was. And he said, if you don't get yourself an effing assistant, I'm going to fire you. And I'm like, why? What do you mean? He goes, trust me, you've been in, I've been in the business long enough. You're going to burn out. And it was the right. first wake up call that I had actually had to say, I'm never going to grow. I'm only, I'm going to stagnate here because I'm going to burn out and I can't do this on my own anymore. And I think everybody, you know, when they're contemplating, you know, do I get an assistant? Do I not get an assistant? It's twofold, right? You don't want to pay for an assistant. Who wants to pay for something that, you know, you can do yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Second thing is, is control. A lot of people don't want to give up control of the file. Well, nobody's going to do it as well as I do. Right. You know, that's it's not true, but that's what we tell ourselves, right? It's like, nobody can pull a credit bureau like I can, you know, yeah, it's like exactly. Donald Trump. <laughs> nobody knows more about ISIS than me. He just does like yeah. everything. He knows more about everything than anybody. Anyway, yeah. sorry, I go on a rant. No, um, it's, it's entirely true. And I, I was, I was very, you know, like hiring an assistant wasn't in my wheelhouse and I wanted to, to handhold every single deal. And that was part of my proposition, right? It, you know, I, I was going to make sure everything was going to You wrap your arms around your client and yeah. you're like, I'll, I'll take care of, but there's only, your arms are only so big. Exactly. And, and if you're really good at what you do, which you are, you start to get like, oh my gosh, I'm going to break. Like, I just can't take care of this many people. Yeah. Um, so that first transition was getting, you had hired somebody. So tell me about that. So what was it like when you finally found the right person and you're like, oh my gosh, what was that like? So I did have a lot of false starts, right? Because what's the first thing you do when you look for an assistant, right? You ask every single person, you know, hey, do you know anybody who wants usually, to talk, Usually right? it's the person within proximity. It's like, oh, you over there, come over, help me. And then you're like, what are you, this is a bad idea. We're going to blow, blow, like they're not a good fit. So, yeah. So I must say I had a lot of false starts. I hired people who a, weren't capable, weren't knowledgeable, just couldn't do the work were slow, inefficient, you know, I, I, I did blow through a lot of assistance. So that was, that was an unfortunate part of it. But uh, about three years back, there was like, okay, uh, how many? So you said it up, like how many? Just, just... Oh, four. Okay. That's, you know, that's okay. Yeah. And yeah. how long, and over what period of time? Um, probably four over about 
six years or so. Some of them were okay. Some of them, you know, um, you know, they were just okay. Right. You know, they were, they were doing the the bare minimum, but uh, there was a a gal at a law office that I worked with who particularly struck me as somebody who was very efficient and on the ball and very organized and always kept me in the loop and super, super, super impressed by, you know, her level of contact and always, and I thought she would make a really great uh, mortgage assistant. So again, not looking in the mortgage industry, but thinking, Hey, this is a law assistant in a busy real estate office. She can obviously read a mortgage commitment and she can obviously read a purchase agreement you know, she's 75% of the way there, right? right? So sneaked her away from my lawyer. I must say we're still friends, the lawyer and I. That's good. But uh, <laughs> I still refer him a lot of business. But that was really the first time that I'd hired somebody for offsetting skills, right? Somebody mm-hmm. who could fill in the gap where my skills weren't necessarily uh, the strongest. Right, something that you weren't a nine out of 10 on. You could do it, but it was like, and it was also draining. So if you don't mind me asking, what was your volume at? I mean, obviously your mortgage size is probably smaller because it was a few years ago, but what was your uh, volume at when you took on that assistant and then what happened after? So at that juncture, probably around 38 million a year or so. And she will have been with me for three years come October. So in those three years, we've kind of pushed it from about 38. And then this year we're tracking somewhere between 50 and 55. So definitely she opened up that capacity for me to be able to go out and do some of those activities again, like reconnect with my strategic alliances, make those calls, right? Those, right. those client calls, do those types of activities to again, farm my database and, and make sure that the business is. And so at 38 million though, you did that with by yourself with no help? Just no, the two of us. That's when she kind of came on board. Oh, I see. So, okay. So what were you doing before she came on? So what were you doing by yourself? That's when I had the crappy assistants, right? Okay. (laughs) All right. right. So you're, okay. So I would say the first time, you know, I hired an assistant. Yeah. it's, It's hard to remember. It seems so long ago now, but. All to say is that bringing the assistant on definitely opens up your capacity. But hiring an assistant doesn't necessarily mean you can eat bonbons all day, right? It just means right. that your activities should change. Yes, you, you get more time to build the business. And so you had mentioned to me, one of the things, it's always easy when you talk about volume because you could have mortgages that are a million dollars. You'd be like, I did 50, like, so, but your case, like you're, you're talking like 170, 175 files a year that you guys are doing right now, right? Yeah, Ottawa is a smaller market, of course. So we're, so, not, getting, we're not getting the big poppers like they do in Toronto and, and Vancouver, right? Right, so, so just, I want to put, I want to preface that so people go, oh, okay, that makes sense. So that's a lot of units. It's a lot of paperwork, a lot of pay stubs, a lot of, back and forth. And so you're obviously a high capacity individual. So tell me about, so you've got an assistant. I think you'd mentioned to Matt that you work, that everybody works remotely. So walk me through that. How did you manage to be able to successfully run your business doing 170 files a year and not actually be in the same city as your assistant? So interesting story, because shortly after I hired her, she came to me and expressed, you know, concern that I was going to fire her because her boyfriend had been transferred to uh, just outside of Montreal. And obviously she, they lived together and she wanted to go. So she was quite upset at the time. Thinking oh, so you didn't initially. So this was not a, it wasn't on purpose. This was one of those. It was, it wasn't on purpose. I'd finally found the right assistant, but then she wanted to quit. Right. right. Which I was like, no, that's not going to happen. Um, we're going to figure this out. So I'm going to set you up, you know, you're going to set yourself up at home with an office computer and we're going to do this remotely. So initially everybody told me, oh, you're crazy. Why would you let your assistant work remotely? Because there's this myth of like working from home, right? right is she right. really going to be working or is she going to be on Facebook or doing her nails or, you know, cooking mm-hmm. dinner kind of thing? But 
there's a certain level of trust you have to have in somebody when you kind of take on an arrangement like that to work from home because there has to be, you know, inherent trust, right? I don't micromanage her in the least. And I think having like a series of assistants caused me to let go of my control right. issues. You're totally just like, oh my gosh, I just can't, like, I can't, and your volume is going up. So you're just finally like, oh, for the love of God, I don't want to micromanage you. Yeah. Um, so what- for me, letting her work remotely was the lesser of two evils, right? I either had to train somebody from scratch or let her work remotely. And right. uh, I've been floored actually how well it has worked. It's worked on so many levels and it's, it's right. the best story. Okay. So um, how long did she work for you with you? Like where you were in the same office before this remote situation came up? So we were never truly in the same office because I do spend a large portion of my time from home. So it yeah. was kind of a loose arrangement before where she was working at the main office, but I was still from home. So it was really just an extension of that. But okay. now, now physically, I wasn't seeing her as, as often. I mean, I might go a month, six weeks maybe without seeing her right now. And, you know, she does, I do encourage her to come down for certain like lender events or MPC events, you know, and again, that's necessary to have some face time, right. With your partners. Other than that, we, we have quite a good system in place. And again, any good mortgage broker will tell you, you have to have a process. You have to have a recipe, right? Your recipe is so important so that you have the same output every time. And I think we've done a particularly good job at, at honing our recipe. Files pretty well go the same way from beginning to end, almost identically every single time. And if there is, you know, flies in the ointment, we, we try to identify them quickly and address them right away so that we know next time there's no, there's no hiccup. Okay, I got some questions I want to ask about process. So I always say there's three parts to your business. Well, I used to say that your business was a triangle. Um, you know, there's leads, teams, and systems, and there's always, what, no matter what, there's always a problem with one corner of your business. So whether it's you don't have enough leads, you get leads, and all of a sudden you either your systems don't work or you need more team. But I also, there's mindset, I think, is a key thing that kind of holds it all together. But so you, uh, process-wise, who does what? So, and I think you'd mentioned to me that you also, you hired a second assistant, correct? Correct. Yes. So So, I'd love to know what you're doing, what you did with one assistant. So what the process looks like and then what the plan is for the second so that you can scale beyond, you know, 170 files to 220 or wherever you want to go. So, okay. um, Good question. uh, So, Right now, um, because she has such a good level of expertise, she, she does almost the whole file. Right. <laughs> so there's, Sweet. There's, there's very little I actually do on the file. Uh, one of my personal things is I still do the application intake, right? So yeah. we'll scrub the file, pull bureaus, pull a purview, you know, check the websites, make sure everybody says they are where they say they are. Right. Um, and then she flags the application for me um, because we use Microsoft 365. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that product. Is, um, it's a CRM, right? Well, it's kind of a whole everything, right? So it's particularly good for people who want to work remotely, right? You can instant message. Um, Main thing is inbox sharing, right? It's awesome that we share an inbox um, because all I have to do is flag items for her and she knows what she needs to do, right? So, you know, if I get 10 emails in five minutes, I just look look through them quickly, tick, 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 tick. I flag the ones for her and she knows immediately what she needs to do. Oh, Um, genius. And so, okay, do you both have the same, like, is it your Susanna at whatever and then her name at whatever and then all go into one inbox or is it you just have like, she has delegate access to my inbox. So we both have our own Microsoft uh, inbox on Outlook, um, mm-hmm. but on her desktop version, she sees my inbox and she sees her inbox. So okay. she, 
and she has two monitors and split screens and she does right. everything. But when she goes in my inbox, she's able to see everything that I've flagged for her. And when she responds, it also responds as delegate access. So it'll say, sent by Carrie Lynn Jones on behalf of Susanna Penning. So the client knows that it's not me responding, that it's my assistant. Right. But I, you know, speaking of process, I incorporate that into my process. I tell every single client and I don't call her an assistant. She's a team member and, and yeah. she doesn't have a title. She's my client care manager. So I do that integration very quickly um, with my clients. When I start working with them, I say, you know, I want you to be able to get a hold of somebody, you know, immediately. I have a client care manager. If I'm on the road and you can't reach me, send me an email. She will see it immediately. She will respond immediately. So, right. you know, clients are, are I've never, trained. You know what? 108, I don't know how many interviews in 180 some interviews and no one has ever, either I didn't ask the question, but no one's ever talked to me about inbox sharing in that way that you said. I think it's genius. Is it's it expensive? Phenomenal. Like no. what, the, what oh does it cost? God. Microsoft 365, I want to say costs $180 a user per year. Okay, so it was, and it gives you access to like Word and all the other stuff too? Word, PowerPoint, Excel, there's SharePoint. So Outlook. Our, yeah, Outlook, obviously, and SharePoint. So part two of our process is everything is cloud-based, right? Each client gets an email folder in Outlook and each client gets a document folder in SharePoint, uh, which is the cloud. So we push documents up, they come down. She has a signing package ready for me. She pops it up into the folder. I pull it down, sign the client, scan it back up. She pulls it down, sends this to the lender. Okay, what, okay, what, is, what is that? SharePoint. I, we're getting a little technical, but I just geek out about this stuff. So, oh, so, is, sure, so it's file sharing, right? Okay. So, it, like Dropbox, essentially, it's, but it's, it's, it's a like Microsoft. Dropbox. Yeah, it's a Microsoft product and it's SharePoint and we keep all our master files in, in SharePoint and each client's assigned their own file. So at any given point, um, we can just hop into SharePoint and see what kind of documents are in the file. Now, when the file is done, closed, paid, I pull it off SharePoint and it's all saved on an external drive mm -hmm. um, just for security reasons. I don't want clients' information on there forever and ever. But right. the file is pulled off and kept uh, under lock on an external drive. Okay. And but I think uh, you had an original question that I maybe didn't even answer. I don't even, I, you know, so I'll come back to the process. So lead comes in, you do the initial contact, the intake, take the app. You then go to when does she enter the process? So I feel intake is very important because that first conversation with the client, you are going to get information that will help you for the entire file, which is why I've always been a big stickler that I still always do that. That's the, your initial connection with the client. You talk about dreams, hopes, wishes. What are you doing in five years? Is a yeah. starter home, upsizing home. You're going to get so much valuable information in there that, you know, I never want to let that go. It's actually the part I like, right? Right. But when I'm done with the application, she pretty much takes it from there. So if it's a refinance, it gets sent in right away. She'll do notes, make a recommendation of a lender. Sometimes I pick the lender. Sometimes she does. We try to support all our uh, lenders equally and, and mm -hmm that type of thing. But we'll, we could have a quick conversation on that. But if it's a purchase, you know, when the purchase agreement comes in, again, flag it, she uploads everything, you know, does all the notes, everything goes in, commitment comes in. Again, she sends the commitment out to the client with a list of conditions. Uh, she lets the realtor know that the mortgage has been approved. She opens a file with a lawyer. When the commitment goes out to the client, she always copies me. I follow up the client, you know, anywhere from one to two days after the commitment goes out, just to make sure they understand everything. Everything's a process. Everything's a template, right? Mm -hmm. So our commitment email is very, very clear about waiving your conditions, about when we need to meet, when we need to collect the paperwork. It's very formulaic, but it sounds very personal. 
right? Right. So and you use, do you use like uh, templates in Outlook that you guys just re you both share, so you have the same template? Like, or how do you what do you do there? She yeah, she saves her own templates. Again, I I send very few of those emails out, so right. she has a template for you know free refinance offer. She has a, a template for Scotiabank stab, right? Like mm-hmm. different lenders will have different templates because their mortgages look differently, right? Um, we always send the client a copy of the client portal for the lender you know, a link to the lender's website, you know, all all these are very standard things, but we've been doing the job long enough to know when you send something out, what kind of questions you're going to get back. So we've been very preemptive and trying to let's address every single question in that email. It's all there. Right. And we don't get a lot of questions when we send our commitments. So sometimes I even have to call a client. Like, did you get my approval? Like, are you okay? Are you, are you alive? Like, Oh yeah, everything's good. I know what's going on. Oh yeah, it's all great. Everything's perfect. I read your email and it was great. Right. So, okay. So, um, a couple questions, obviously you don't meet with clients very often. That's not something that, well, I do have a personal policy that if it's the first time I've ever had interaction with this client, I do have a policy where I try to meet them at least once. So I either meet them at intake, which again is, few and far between um, now because, again, of our, our volumes, I generally tend to meet them at signings. So, again, okay. first-time client, I try to meet them once, but now we've been doing this so long, and we had this conversation uh, before, is that clients don't even want to meet anymore. They don't no. have time. They, it's maybe their second, third mortgage with me. It's a rental property. They've had mortgages before. You know, let's just do this by email. So, I certainly always offer the uh, a review call. Let me email you your documents and we'll take 20 minutes and review everything. Uh, some of them are just very, you know, show me where to sign. So I try to cater the experience to what the client's looking for, right? You can usually tell who's busy and who wants what. Um, so we try to deliver a very personalized experience for the client. And, you know, in terms of reading what kind of client they are and what they're going to want, right? Some people mm-hmm. want to be handheld a little bit more and some people just want, you know, sign here, press hard, three copies kind of thing. So one of the things we were chatting about earlier too is that you, you're one of your strengths is you're able to be able to kind of read a person and go, okay, this person, I need to make sure that we provide like, you know, this kind of customer experience and, and make some little adjustments based on their sort of personality. And so you said something else to me, which I love. So you said there's the golden rule and the platinum rule. So tell me what that is again, because I had never heard this before either. So the two things, Microsoft 365, never, you know, and or the inbox sharing and then the platinum rule and golden rule thing. I often think I've missed my calling. I should have been a psychologist or something, but uh, you know, it's not rocket science. You don't need to work harder. You just need to work smarter and you can work smarter in the first five minutes you talk to your client. If you're, if you're a good judge of people and you can read people, you can tell what kind of experience they're looking for. And somebody very wise told me that, you know, the golden rule is treat others how you want to be treated. Well, the platinum rule is treat others how they want to be treated. So if you can kind of creep into their mind and crack their skull back for about five minutes, ask some questions just to get a a sense of who they are, you're very quickly kind of going to be able to ascertain what kind of service experience they're looking for. So you can kind of cater your, your approach to that. Right. You know, someone who's newly divorced and crying on the phone and hysterical, really all she wants to hear is that you're going to take care of everything and it's going to be right. wonderful. Don't worry, I've been through this before. I'll walk you through every step of the way. Where, you know, you, you certainly have people who are very, you know, C-type personalities. All they want is, you know, you to give them the numbers that they can put in their spreadsheet, right? Yeah, right. Just you data. Know, just data, right? They want blogs and charts and they want to know what the historical prime rate has been for the last 25 years. And if, if you can kind of profile your clients, you know, a lot of the realtors use the DISC model, right? D-I-S-C. 
you know, but it doesn't even have to be that complicated. If you can just know what type of client you're dealing with and what they're looking for, it's very easy to kind of deliver an experience that's going to cater to them. And and they're going to think you're wonderful. Sorry to interrupt, but it's basically helps you best how to communicate effectively with that person. Do they want lots of communication? Do they just will give them the, give me the facts? Like, so it allows you to tailor your communication to your specific Exactly. And I have a very funny comment about that because it was actually my husband who uh, pointed it out. And uh, as everybody who works in the mortgage industry knows that your spouse hears a lot of conversations you have with clients. And uh, he said to me one day and he's like, you know why you're so good at your job? It's because you're a chameleon. He goes, I can tell what kind of client you're talking to based on the words you're using and the dialogue and how you're framing, you know, your conversation. And I thought, you know what, that's really interesting because sometimes you have to talk to the client's level, right? Right. Maybe, you know, if you're talking to a garage mechanic, you're going to speak differently than if you're talking to a director general at the government, right? Right. So it's a little bit of a, a unique. Well, I, I always say to everybody in the office, tell me like I'm 10, like explain yeah. this to me like I'm 10 years old because yeah. uh, that's just how I'm, I'm wired. So, you know, I'm glad that you're keeping it at my level today. You're keeping yeah, it at a 10 yeah. year old level so that I can understand. But yeah, that's, that's actually a really good quality to have. In, well, in I have that- a client who, who likes to swear a lot, right? So yeah. He's a great guy, just like constantly dropping the F-bomb, right? So I was on the phone with him, dropped an F-bomb. My husband said, like, you swear on the phone with clients? And I'm like, trust me, he'll love me for it. He thinks that's awesome. Right. That's hilarious. (laughs) You You know, you've got good. To let him know that you're kind of on the same jam. It's like you've you've got a really good, not only self-awareness, but awareness of people and situations. So you can then make little minor adjustments that help that connection build. So you'd mentioned the one thing I want to come back to the process. So you're hiring a second assistant. So what is this person going to do that's going to help you guys get to the next level? So uh, again, you know, do what you love. You never work a day in your life. So as of the last six months, I figured out, guess what? I'm chained to my desk again, right? I'm pushing, I'm pushing deals. I'm pushing deals. Right. And uh, when it stopped being fun again, that's when I realized, okay, light bulb moment, right? We're hitting critical mass here. We're, we're butting up against capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, my assistant's, you know, working long hours. And, and again, she's very flexible. I have to hand it to her. She's, she's really great. And she knows that spring market is the long hours. And in December, we're twiddling our thumbs, right? right. Uh, and it comes out in the wash. So that's a good aspect to have in an assistant, you know, somebody who appreciates that. But now we're not getting the slow periods anymore, right? right. We're, just, we're just on 110%. Hair back, time. just... So what we did is we went through an exercise of cataloging, okay, what is it that I do in a day and what is it that you do in a day, right? So let's actually itemize these tasks and these jobs and, and what can be, you know, delegated. So... right. For me to go out and drive more business, I decided that, you know, I had to do X amount of activity. For me to be able to get out more, I had to give up control of renewals. Um, right. Spring market is this big, huge mountain, right? It's, it's new deals coming in, people buying, but every single client that you've ever had in spring market is, is renewing in spring market, right. right? So there's this big mountain. I wanted to give her a little bit more control over the renewal process, but for her to do that, not giving me capacity, but for her to be able to do that, I had to give her capacity. So we cataloged You hired her. an assistant for your assistant. Yeah, exactly. So, That's exactly what we're doing. So we cataloged yeah. her responsibilities and we're basically lopping off the bottom third of, I don't want to call it crappy admin, but bottom third of admin that you just time. It's time more time sensitive, less technical, probably like Correct. maybe compliance, you know, uh, uploading, 
document you know, prep. Uploading 35 files for payroll in July. I mean, that's a lot of time. That's just yeah. dead, boring time, but you need somebody to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Preparing signing packages, uh, opening files with lawyers, um, you know, even sending thank you cards. I still send a thank you card to every single client. I send every first time home buyer a little thank you gift, you know, things like that. I send all referrals uh, a gusto card, right? So everybody mm-hmm. gets a, you know, a gusto card, right? So it's, it's, it's just those types of things which are very, still very, very important, but, you know, they're, they take up a lot of time, right? Mm-hmm. So we kind of have an initial set of, you know, duties that this new assistant's going to do. I luckily scored awesome assistant with uh, lots of great experience. Um, she's currently a signer for FNF, um, so yeah. that's her full-time gig, and she was looking for some additional hours during the day, so it's working out perfectly. Um, so your second assistant is part-time? Is, yeah, about part-time, about four to five hours a day. Okay. Which, uh, which is ideal uh, for now, <laughs> yeah. uh, four to five hours a day. And uh, again, she will be working remotely. So the three of us will be working, uh, in, you know, in a big triangle, all three of us working remotely. And so we're right now in the process of fine tuning what that's going to look like and how that chain of, you know, of duties and tasks are going to be assigned. So we're tweaking that. So you might want to come back to me in six months and see how successful right. we are. But Well, I think you did the right. So what you in, either intuitively did or of writing down your tasks, your assistant's tasks, and then figuring out, okay, what can I offload? That's the perfect thing to do because now it lets you determine who you need to hire versus I just need a third person, but then it's like, well, what are we going to get them to do? So at least you knew going in, this person's going to be, needs to be good at this type of work and they want to enjoy this type of work so that your other assistant can actually, or your other team member can start to work on refis and then you can work on purchase and so I think it's really smart. So what, what is your goal? So you get this all kind of fine-tuned, working the way you want. What do you, where do you, would you like to see yourself next year in terms of like volume and files? Well, it's, uh, it's interesting because when I, you know, I, I do well, right? So you, you don't have to do, be a math uh, scientist to figure out that, you know, we're doing, we're doing okay. So it wasn't really my goal to build more. I just wanted a better quality of life, right? right? In fact, I was perfectly happy to just, more business to pay for the second assistant, right? So that was kind of my. That's my not gonna. Happen. You're gonna end up doing more business, so guaranteed. You'll you'll be like, all of a sudden, your capacity will increase. You're like, boom! Now you're doing more. And you're like, crap! I'm making more money. Oh, this sucks, but it's actually not a bad thing. So good for yeah, you for. Yeah. No. So I do partially. I, I'm not sure what my ceiling is. That's still to be determined. But uh, I do want a little bit more quality of life. Last year was the first time in a long time I went for two weeks to Africa with my daughter, mm-hmm. and. Uh, just didn't even have cell phone reception. So had that level of confidence to say, you know, I can actually leave my business for two whole weeks, right. <laughs> uh, which I had never done. Right. I, you know, a week here, a week there, but to actually leave my business for two weeks and know that it was going to run seamlessly uh, without me, it was really an eye opener. Cause I'm like, wow, there's a whole new world out there and I can actually maybe uh, enjoy it a little bit more. So that's, that's one of my goals definitely is to, you know, have a business that is successful and profitable and runs without me. Right. So. And exactly. That's the definition as a business, then you can actually not have to be there all the time and you don't have to do everything. And so, so is there anything else that you think that I should have asked you that when in our conversation that you think would be useful for our listeners? I don't want to beat it. You know, every, I don't criticize other people's model and, you know, certain people like to buy down rates and some people are, you know, big hunters, but mm-hmm cost you so much more time and energy and money to go out and find a client than to mine your database. I think the database is truly the one overlooked area in our industry. I'm so shocked all the time talking to brokers 
and they're not calling their renewals and they're not touching call even pick up the phone and call your client once a year you know there's right. so many crms who that can remind you you know this client's mortgage anniversary is coming up or your client's mortgage is coming up for renewal in nine months i'm part of mortgage advisors in ottawa and we're a verico team and and you know they give you those tools use them call mm-hmm. your clients nine months ahead of time before you know the banks call them and and plant that seed and that deal will not only be your deal because they'll appreciate the fact that you've been so proactive but it's another tick point because now they're going to be talking to their coworker and oh yeah my right. mortgage worker you know it's just so easy so I, i'm just shocked that a lot of people don't firm more and hunt less right you, right uh, and I agree with you. I, uh, what what I've seen the sort of transition typically is when you start out, you have to be a you have to become good at hunting. You got to hunt, 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 but don't neglect your database because then eventually you can transition into farming, and you can do a lot of business with a really good database provided you're staying in touch and you're building, you know, investing in those past clients. So I think. I 100% agree that. And it doesn't always have to be a, a raid game. I met with a with a client last week and I signed him and he's like, ah, by the way, my lender called me and they're matching your raid, eh? And yeah. I'm like, you know, oh, okay. So how are we proceeding? He goes, oh, don't worry. I would never, you know, stay with them. Like you guys right. are great. You know, it's so easy, right? It doesn't have right. to be hard. It doesn't have to be about raid. It, it just, the client needs to know that you're taking care of them. Who doesn't want to be taken care of, right? Right, exactly. Now, we, and we had this conversation yesterday at the conference, you know, with Rocket Mortgage coming on. Ottawa and, and the banks trying to do, you know, direct online mortgage approvals. And RBC has been very aggressive with your mortgage is approved in 60 seconds. You know, what's the space going to be? That, that, by the way, there's no possible way that works yet. Like, that's just like total, it's just basically a form where you fill it out and they go, it looks like we need to call you, right? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but I mean, it's coming and it's going to yeah. be annoying, right? But I think every broker who's in the industry now has to do a really good job of farming their database because those relationships are still going to be valuable. Yes, maybe mm-hmm. the automation will integrate into our industry and it will save you time, but it, it's never going to save you, you know, fine-tuning yeah. that relationship. Right. And you said Rocket Mortgage is coming to Ottawa? Because they're a U.S. company, right? Rocket so, Mortgages is coming to Canada, sorry. Coming to yeah. Canada. Okay, yeah. I didn't, I didn't even... How do I not know that? Oh, my gosh. So I just... I got to look that up when we get off this call. I'm like... Um, I don't know who mentioned it yesterday, but I, they said within six months they're launching hmm. in Canada. Wow. So, the interesting thing is, is the Canadian market is so much smaller than the U S that like, mm-hmm. it's obviously it's worth it for them now, but I'm okay. So a last question I want to ask you is the DeLorean question. And which is if I could put you in the DeLorean car from back in the future and send you back to give yourself some advice, if you could go back, what advice would you give yourself to have a better, more successful mortgage business quicker? Maybe you're less stressed too, potentially. What would you, what are the three uh, things you do? You'd say abs- three things or, or yeah, three things, things, three things. I want you to tell me three things you would do. Hire an assistant earlier. Absolutely. Right. And some, I had this conversation with another broker last week. Sometimes you have to take a little like financial step back to be able to take three forward. Right. So absolutely hire a broker earlier, get out and be part of the community. You know, there's so many great events held by our lenders and our partners. And I'm always amazed at how low the attendance is. Um, And everybody's like, why would you host a conference in the middle of spring? How can you not host a conference? Like this is, you should be getting out there and getting the most information you can. And I'm always floored at how few people attend these events. So that's the second thing. And And the third thing is just remember to be genuine and authentic because your smile is your business card. So it's, it's not that I would have done anything differently, but it, that's maybe just my just third. Just reinforce. Thing. And, and yeah. the whole platinum rule thing too is like yeah. just understanding people that 
the golden rule is great. The platinum rule is better. It's, like, it's better. You know, yeah. It's better, more effective. So hey, I really appreciate getting to know you. Uh, thanks for sharing your story. And I'm excited. To, I'm going to circle back at some point and see how this new process with two assistants is going versus having the, you know, the one and what you guys can do with this and get some more life, you know, time off, but also potentially your business is probably, I, I would almost guarantee your business will grow just by default. By default. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I'd be happy to do a follow-up conversation. And uh, I promised my husband that I am going to use some of this newfound uh, time to maybe enjoy life a little bit more. Get a hobby. Uh, like I know like most of us <laughs> don't have hobbies. I mean, my hobby is like, you know, doing mortgage applications. Well, I do. I do take the every, well, so it's going to sound funny, but I take every single Friday afternoon off. So I've mm-hmm. been volunteering at uh, CHIO, which is the children's hospital here in Ottawa for the last yep. nine years. So, Actually, even my customers know that every Friday afternoon I'm at Chio. So right. um, that is a little bit of a hobby and it's a little bit anonymous and I go and nobody knows what I do or, or who I am. So that's certainly great. And uh, it's nice to have that balance, right? Because I think a lot of people are just so focused on, you know, writing the business that they forget that there's other things out there. Being a part hey. of the community is important too. Awesome. Well, great to meet you, Susanna. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. If you do, you'll get three deals in the next week. Okay, that's not entirely true, but we'd really appreciate it. Also, you can check out everything at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. See you next week.